Hello everybody and welcome to the Angry- Wait, that's not right. Hmm. Let's try this again. No, you're listening to the brand new, rebranded, brand, of three levels deep. Uh, I am your host this week, Santo. And I'm Alex. And I'm Matt. And yeah, so we're no longer the Angry Sun Zone. Because I have, like most people, I've come to hate the name. <laughs> That, that I have given it. Uh, it sounds like big, like late 2000s YouTuber energy. And it's not like getting super angry is our brand. So we're, we're going with something different. That's, yeah. that's my explanation. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, it's just vague enough that if you don't play video games, it will confuse you somehow. Yeah, we're going to delve deep into a few different topics today. Uh, first, we're going to start with talking about a couple games that we've been playing. Uh, In fact, one might even say we've chosen our top three. <laughs> yes, we'll get to the the deepest three later in the deeper in the episode. Yeah, where... I'm sorry. This is it, as the inaugural rebranded episode. Uh, yeah, get ready for way too many, way too many uh, podcast title puns. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, later on in the episode, we're going to go over uh, our. Th- each of our individual three favorite levels, uh, as well as some honorable mentions. But first, let's get started with um, what we've been playing. Um, now, all of us checked out this uh, game that was put into early access on Steam for like four bucks or something uh, called 20 Minutes Till Dawn. Uh, and this is like kind of like a rogue light ish dual stick shooter, uh, and it's fun as hell. Yeah, it has one of the tightest game loops I've played in a while. It is incredibly, incredibly fun to just, you know, go on, do a run. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to nail this run. And then you die. One more. (laughs) One more. Yeah. And sometimes you die in five minutes. Sometimes you beat the game in 20 minutes. And so if you actually beat the game and survive the night for 20 minutes... A, difficulty goes up until you've gotten to the max difficulty. But then you really want to play again because that's not a long time. Yeah, like the fact that it was limited to the 20-minute run is like... It really appeals to me as somebody who kind of shies away from roguelikes a lot of the time. A lot of the time I just like, okay, this I'm going on a run and it could take a very long time if it goes very well. Or it can just end spectacularly badly at, like, the first boss. And, I mean, that that's true of 20 Minutes Till Dawn, but the, uh, you know, the window's shorter. I mean, it's not true that you should die to the first boss, though. In this game, no. no the first boss game, is pretty easy. This game has some rough bosses, but the first boss is not one of them. I don't think I've ever taken damage from the first boss. Uh, the only time I've taken damage from the first boss is when I've dashed into it. <laughs> Yeah, that tracks. And that's only because I thought the dash had iframes and didn't. The dash sucks. It didn't until you get get the upgrade that gives it iframes. Yeah, it's overpowered. There's only one character in the game that has a proper dash. That's her like one of her special abilities. But it doesn't really become a proper dash without an upgrade. You would expect it to have iframes initially. Yeah, but not be an upgrade. So the first time you use it, you get caught off guard by taking damage when you dash. Exactly. And I happen to run into a boss. Uh, 
and the difficulty that I was on made it so that bosses do du uh, double damage. <laughs> uh, but yeah, actually, this game was um, originally part of a uh, game jam match, uh, and it was ten minutes till dawn <laughs> for the early access release. It's now twenty minutes. And now they have a um, beta branch of the game that has an endless mode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting longer. It seems like one of those games where, no like, it feels like a game that would normally be endless. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that it's not, like, is actually a really strong point in its favor. Because I think with endless, either you're just eventually going to die and then it's just a timing game. But I think that with this game in particular, there are some builds that can go forever. Mm -hmm. And it's because the game has a lot of chain reaction effects yeah. that can just get kind of nuts. And like some of them are just so ridiculous. Uh, they actually had a pretty big balance patch because uh, there were a couple abilities that were simply broken. Yeah, ice. Ice Free. was so broken. Ice was broken as hell because when you froze an enemy, it lost 35% health. And it's frozen, so it doesn't move for a while. And you could get another upgrade where when you kill an enemy with ice, it explodes and causes ice to enemies around it. Which just... If you have a group of enemies, as soon as three enemies in close proximity die at once, that instant kills all the enemies around them. And it, can, and it, just, goes, it just goes off in dense yeah. fields of enemies. Which is super fun, though... I would be willing to admit it. It, it was broken. It yeah. was too powerful. Yeah, it was just like it was. It was the easy mode, and yeah, they 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 balanced it a bit and buffed some other stuff too, which is nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Is, is fire good yet? So, oh boy. Okay, I got a video that is going to come out soon of the new fire cannon because it is ridiculous. Um, I have a 3060 and a, like, latest generation Ryzen 9, and it was causing my game to chug. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, like, sub 30 frames a second. I mean, to be fair, there's, there's clearly some uh, poor optimizations in there somewhere. I mean, when, when, you build, when you build a game that's quite simple, like, you might not think you need to like optimize your particle effects super super well but um when you are shooting all of your clip all the time because you have some abilities that make it so that you don't ever run out of ammo uh yeah there's abilities where you crazy. yeah there's abilities where you can effectively get to the point where you never run out of ammo combined with abilities that make your fire rate simply insane which you need, because there could be, I don't know, a thousand enemies on screen at one time easy. Not that many. It's a lot. But, yeah, like 250 maybe. It's a lot uh, of enemies. I think it's, I, think it's over, I think it's more than 250, but... Oh god, it's a, it's a jelly bean jar problem. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you can't even tell with all your own bullshit going on on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, if I if listen if there if there weren't a thousand enemies there were definitely a thousand bullets, <laughs> right? Uh, and there's right now um, you know still in early access there's six characters six different uh, weapons to choose from, and like I don't know fifteen or like twelve to fifteen different like ability 
trees of four abilities plus a bunch of uh, what are called synergy abilities where if you get certain combinations of abilities they unlock these very powerful synergy abilities that can like some of them can really change your build like you only ever have one ammo in your clip but it does a fuck ton of damage uh and other ones that like make us that when you freeze enemies they also get set on fire and stuff like that if you go down both the freeze and fire tree so there's a lot of thought put into the upgrades um that's actually one of the reasons why i picked this up is because uh friend of the show maximus was playing it and i saw he he picked up the dragon upgrade and the dragon is a powerful summon friend that you don't get access to for three minutes and until three minutes after you get the upgrade and i thought that was a really interesting mechanic for a time-based run game where it's like okay you have this upgrade and you you only have like a, you only level up a certain amount of times so you gotta spend your upgrades wisely so do you want to you know invest in this something that will pay off for another three minutes and then a couple other dragon upgrades are it gets more powerful over time so you could have the first three upgrades of your run literally not improve your character at all you can have your dragon fully upgraded before it even hatches yes yeah and that's actually really that's a recipe for a strong dragon uh but let me tell you on the higher difficulties it is brutal to not have those first few upgrades if you yeah. try to get an early dragon and if you try to get a late dragon the dragon simply doesn't have as much power in the late game yeah, so it's 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 like that kind of like really interesting risk reward was like, okay, that 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 pulled me in. None of the other upgrades are necessarily like that. Some of them are like kind of weak, and then have like stronger ones down the tree that kind of have that same dynamic. But yeah, yeah, I think the closest analog to that that I would say is kind of like you've got to be careful about when you get stuff is when you're playing with the grenade launcher yes <laughs> there are a lot of abilities with the grenade launcher that are dangerous to yourself splinter splinter is the worst i haven't been able to beat the game with splinter it's a it's splinter makes it so that when enemies die they spawn three bullets now those bullets are going to be the same bullets as whatever your gun shoots so when you're using the grenade launcher Splinter uh, makes enemy deaths spawn three grenades. And that can be extremely... That is extremely dangerous. Combine that with the uh, summon knives that fly around and do the same amount of damage as your bullets, just killing enemies randomly, and you just have three grenades just popping out on screen, just you have no control over, and just you're just running for your life from your own shit. Yeah, I really want to do a splinter run. I really want to beat the game with a splinter run that essentially just turns into me running away really fast as everything dies to grenades spawning all around me. Which is what, I think that's the only way a splinter run with the grenade launcher is going to go. But even a lot of other things with the grenade launcher, like shooting multiple bullets, increasing... Um, you know, the range, like, they're good, but they're dangerous with the grenade launcher. And so I think that you got to be really careful about the order in which you take upgrades with mm -hmm. the grenade launcher. But you do have to kind of turn your grenade launcher into this monstrous, like, uh, just 
like rapid fire grenade cannon of death that shoots like eight grenades at a time in all directions each of them having double like double or triple the radius that they started with yeah with massive radius and huge range and is just as likely to damage you as the enemies because if you don't do that you will get overwhelmed um, mm-hmm. But it, I think I really like the grenade launcher. I think that the grenade launcher is really fun because I haven't played any other sort of survival horde game where the grenade launcher just turns into this insane, insane weapon that is doing monstrous amounts of damage over- with huge AOE, uh, but is so so deadly to yourself. Yeah. Um, I, at one point, I had a build that I think spit out about 100 grenades per second in all directions <laughs> which is that's insane that's just it's crazy especially because a single grenade is actually capable of one-shotting most enemies in the game mm-hmm. and yeah one of the reasons why the grenade launcher is so like devastating to yourself is um your character that you play as doesn't have that much health and any hit on your character will take away like one health and characters start with like three. <laughs> yeah, most characters only have three health. Uh, three or, or four, three and there's four. one character that has like seven. Uh, and that's that's like their special trait is they start with a lot of life. So like it, it can be really easy to just like accidentally hit yourself like twice with the grenade launcher and then you're dead. Yeah. My only clear with the grenade launcher was going for the achievement where you have to... I, I forget the character's name, but... Abby. One, Abby. Where her ability is her ult fire. She just spins around and fires out all the ammunition in random directions. Yeah, and there's an achievement for completing an uh, uh, entire run only using that and never firing normally, which is a fantastic achievement. It is a fantastic achievement, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, there's already um, another character uh, planned to release relatively soon, I think. So the dev is continuing to up, update it. And it's actually, like, sold a pretty decent amount. This is one of the few times where I wish the game cost it more. <laughs> because, like, I've gotten way more than $4 of enjoyment out of this. I would have gladly... Like, if I knew I was going to play it for this long, I would have gladly paid, like, 10, 15 bucks for this game. And seemed like, oh, it's sold potentially, like, 200,000 copies at this price instead of what I think the game's actually worth. It's kind of disappointing. So. Maybe it'll maybe they'll raise the price once it's out of early access like some games do. I hope so. Yeah. Hope them to get paid. Yeah, I mean, it was really funny. So just a little anecdote. I bought the game because literally so matt a friend of the podcast matsimus got santo playing it and then santo uh matt who was here and matsimus were all playing it and they were just like get in here man it's four bucks let's go four bucks let's go everyone's streaming it on discord (laughs) it's so silly we're just like we're all playing it's a single player game but we're all just playing this game like i've got the other three streams up on my second monitor but like when i'm doing my run i can't look over yeah i gotta have full attention so i can only look over between runs yeah or it's like you get an upgrade 
and you get to choose what your upgrade yeah, is. Yeah, everything so pauses, they, so you have a moment to just... And so it's like, okay, I got an upgrade. What's going on with everyone else's run? <laughs> so yeah, like, I highly recommend it. Um, if, the, like, you know, dual stick shooters is your, your jam. And, like, when I say I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of it, like, uh... I've put over 30 hours into this game. I mean, when I think of dual stick shooters, I'm going to be honest, there's not a there's not a lot of dual stick shooters I've actually put a lot of time into. It, this may already be the dual stick shooter I've put the most amount of time into. It yeah. is for me, for sure. I only have about 10 hours because I've I put it aside to work, finish playing some other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to go back to it. Yeah, and you know, with it being an early access game, there's you know, on oh, new character, I can go back to it now. New weapon, I can go back to it now. Yeah, it definitely. I I expect that if the developer continues to uh, add updates, that it's going to have just tons of replayability. It's already got a lot of replayability, but if there were just more kind of trees and upgrade paths, it would I think add even more. Because that's if there's one thing about the game that I would say is maybe not that it's maybe lacking somewhat is that when you do get a great run where you end up beating the game, you tend to have a large chunk of the upgrades you'd want. Mm-hmm. Like by the by the time you get to the end, if you if you get to 20 minutes, you can get basically everything that you want. Which in a lot of roguelikes is not the case. Usually you're at a bit more of the whims of just what shows up. And although that's certainly true in the early game, since by the late game there just aren't as many options uh left you can actually kind of like tune the build pretty effectively though if they added too many you wouldn't be able to really get enough early so probably i could see two ways of it going one would be to maybe add like a second tier of upgrades that only show up maybe at 10 minutes Hmm. um that would be one solution that i think would kind of work well Kind of like once you've already explored the initial trees that you wanted, then you get these like higher tier trees. Or it could be just just making some of the existing trees deeper. Because yes. the trees do unlock in an order. And so that would be another way of, of adding more uh, sort of diversity to the possible builds is just making the existing trees go further yeah. and have more synergies. As it is right now, each tree is only... It's four four perks, each tree. You get your first one, which unlocks two more. And then you can choose one of the, sec- one of the second two that unlocks. And then the, th- the final one in the tree will become uh, available to you. Yeah. And, and you can get both of the like mid-tier ones as well. And if you do that, then the final uh, one, the tree, seems like it has a better chance of popping up. Because like you're, you're also diluting the pool a little more of what you're possibly going to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how they have it running in the back end, but it seems as if the number of branching paths toward an upgrade affect how likely that upgrade is to show up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that was about 20 minutes of us talking about 20 minutes till dawn. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you could have gotten a run in. Yeah. All right. You what could, are you, you, what you are you waiting for? Or, or multiple be- failed runs. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you know that's not the only game we've been playing. It's the it, it might be the best game we've been playing lately. 
In terms of new games? Perhaps. Perhaps. I've got a game that I, I, don't, I don't have enough... I haven't played enough to talk about. Uh, that I'll, I'll be saving it for next podcast. But, so look forward to that. Um, but, uh, Matt, you picked up uh, Super Mario Strikers uh, Battle League. Yes. Um, it's a game. <laughs> yeah, that's about what I'd uh, call it. <laughs> it, it. It's nice to see. I, I, I See, I never played any of the previous two. Stri- I played, like, a match. Um, but it's... It's much like some of the other sports Mario sports games on the Switch. It's kind of lacking in content. Yeah, that's that's the feeling I got from it too. Yeah, uh, they they have said they are going to be free updates to the game. I'm hoping they'll add some more. But in terms of single player content, there's just the cup battles of which there's six of them, um, and each one is potentially four matches. Um, though once you do beat them, you do unlock the challenge league, which is six more leagues or six more cups, but each cup, each of those cups for the first five anyways, I don't know what the last one is, but so for the first cup, the opposing teams have maxed shooting stats. Oh, so each of the, the cups in the second tier, um, each, they all have different max stats. Right. Um, and it, I, I, I've only tried the first one. It, it, it's pretty tough. <laughs> Especially when the character switching isn't that great. Yeah, it's, it's, a, t- it's a bit awkward. And especially, especially when playing multiplayer. Like, unless you have, a t- like, four people on a team, like, it gets kind of weird. Yeah. It's, um, like, you'd think when you press the button to switch character, you'd think it would go to the character closest to the ball. It doesn't, though. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Which is honestly worse. I'd say most of the time it does, but other times it's just like, wait, why why am I this character all of a sudden? That doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, uh, me and Sean were playing it uh, a couple days ago, and... Uh, we tried some of the cup battles, and we also did some customization with the gear. Oh, yeah? Okay. I haven't tried anything with the gear yet. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I forget, like, what... Like, he put some gear on Rosalina to make her a bit better at shooting and something else. I forget. But I insisted that he do max speed toad. Max speed toad? <laughs> yeah. And, okay, for... The team composition in this game is very strange because there's, like all the different uh, Mario characters, you know, Mario, Luigi, Donkey Kong, Waluigi, of course, and those you can only have one of on the team. But for whatever reason... You can do a full team of Toad and Yoshi. Yeah. Toad and Yoshi, you can have full teams of them. So we had the, you know, Rosalina that Sean customized backed up by three max speed Toads. Oh my god. (laughs) And it was devastating. (laughs) It was so messed up because, like, it doesn't matter that all the Toad's other stats were worse because they were so good at getting the hyper strikes and get and like getting into a position where nobody was around them to shoot the hyper strikes that wow. it was just easy <laughs> because it's just like oh it's spawned over there I can get there faster than you. There, yeah. There's definitely fun to be had in the game, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just so 
a little lackluster. Yeah, I mean, I like the core of the game is still largely the same as previous uh, Mario Strikers games, and I think that the core of the game is fun, like uh, soccer with crazy items and tackles. That's good. Yeah. I like it. Um, now, but I I had char- I, I had the previous uh, Wii game uh, Mario Strikers Charged. And I have to say, it's really surprising that it feels, in a lot of ways, like a step back. Because um, I actually put tons of hours into Mario Strikers Charged for the Wii, including I spent quite a bit of time uh, playing online and getting quite good at the online metagame. Because that's the thing. Mario Strikers Charged actually had like a metagame online because of the... Uh, ability which has been removed mostly in this uh, edition which was that each character especially the side characters had a different um had a different deke yeah the dekes are still in and each character is like slightly different but it doesn't go as different as charged yeah in charged it was like you know boo's deke he literally disappears with the ball and reappears somewhere else. Uh, hammer Bros Deke, he just jumps up, throws down a massive hammer, and the hammer knocks out anybody, including the goalie. Oh, so so Hammer Bro, it's hard to hit the goalie. Because okay. the goalie's AI is pretty good at avoiding it. But if you got really good, you can get free goals by hitting the goalie with a hammer and just walking <laughs> into the net. Um, similarly, if you got really good with Booze Deke, you could actually... You can actually just, uh, I don't know what to call it. Phase through the phase through the goalie into the net. Um, And also with Booze Deke, if I remember correctly, Booze Deke he he phased more when the ball was charged, Mm. and so that was the other thing. Like the Deeks literally change depending on the charge level of the ball, which is you know the charge level is still present and it makes shots easier or more difficult depending on kind of how many passes the ball's been subjected to and shots in the last few seconds-ish. Uh, so anyway, that was really, really cool. Uh, just how deep the actual gameplay itself got and kind of how high the skill ceiling got in Strikers Charged. And although I haven't spent a lot of time with Battle League, it just seems like the skill ceiling's a lot lower because there's not as much sort of weird game mechanic abuse, frankly. But yeah. that's kind of fun. Like, I, I... It was a bit infuriating at times when you're playing online against people that you literally can't do anything against. But, I mean, a game with a high skill ceiling is going to have that, right? So, um, uh, in terms of the core gameplay, also, yeah, Striker's Charge did not have issues with passing the ball or uh, with changing characters leading to you having the wrong character that versus what you want. I never had that problem in either of the previous two games, so I don't know what's up with that. That, that alone actually is just so frustrating to me because that's such a core thing. Being able to change to the character you want in a soccer game is an absolute necessity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you mess that up, you have a core problem with your game. Um, and then the other thing, the other two things I'll mention where the game feels like a step back is that, uh, Charged also had 
some single player challenge modes where there was a series of challenges that progressively got more difficult where you had to do weird things like you know like your goalie can't save properly or something or um i was just looking at this but uh but there was just various challenges where it made the game more difficult and it gave you a weird challenge to beat an ai in a specific condition you might be down a player or or whatever right there, there were different things and it was sort of just a fun little thing to do on your own especially to get a bit better at the game since i didn't really have a lot of other people to play with other than trying to play online and you needed to get a lot of practice in in single player before you could mm -hmm. attempt to go online and have any success and then so the challenge mode that was cool and that's totally gone and then the other thing was that there were a lot of modifiers available in the sort of exhibition mode in the previous game that are just that are again just kind of nowhere to be seen my favorite was a tilt mode where the entire <laughs> field actually would tilt uh i think it tilted towards the player that was losing or maybe no maybe away from the player that was losing so that it was like easier yeah the ball was on the other side yeah so so, so anyway better. the field would tilt depending on the score differential and it was just really fun that like you know when one person is beating the other person very 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 strongly the field is almost 45 degrees <laughs> it's completely insane but it's a mario sports game so that's what i want and that was such a fun mode to just play with friends because it was just so silly but also it didn't really it didn't really change the core mechanics other than the ball just because of gravity is going towards one end of the field a lot more and bounces weirdly because it's the physics were pretty good in the previous game at bouncing in like uh the right direction so to speak based on the angle that the ball would hit so anyway the physics overall seems fine broadly similar uh but but in a lot of core ways it just feels like they took a step back yeah, yeah, I can see that. You'd think you think a soccer label, you you'd think a soccer game would have more legs to it. <laughs> I I actually just thought of a better solution for the character switching. You have the, the same button that you use to character switch, but you just hold it down and then you then you press one of the face buttons depending on what character you want to switch to. Yeah, that's that's one way to do it. Um, so there's like auto and manual character switching. I don't necessarily know what the difference is between that. Yeah, I haven't really looked into it. But like, my guess is that one of them would be like, one of them might be, you know, hitting the button would switch to the next character in sequence. So if you want to switch to like, you know, you're you're a person up front to the person in the back. You did it twice or something like that. Okay. I don't know. Oh wait, I, or or, I or perhaps using the analog stick to like choose in that direction, which FIFA has. I I did look actually I did look a little bit. I think uh, for manual switching, if you pass if you pass to another character, you've got to switch to them. To uh, actually like. Like, if you're going to, like, pass or shoot after that, you've actually got to 
pass the ball to them and then switch to them. It won't switch to them automatically for you to then pass it to someone else or shoot the ball. Well, that sounds awful. Yeah. It's like playing manual in any kind of racing game. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, if if the game has an auto versus manual when the previous games didn't, it's because someone realized the auto mode sucks. They're like, let's patch in a manual mode instead of fixing it. And also the opposite is true. Cause when they add the automatic drifting into Mario Kart, that's w- that was way worse than the manual oh, drifting. Yeah, that was way worse. <laughs> All right, so that's... Uh... Anyway, Battle League, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, like... I think they, they would need to add a lot to make it a good game. Or like a great game. I think that, like... I know Alex, you you said you had like some problems with like just the core gameplay of it. I think the core of it is fine. Like I, I think it's fun enough as a like a pick up and play thing. Like it's yeah, it's fun enough. I'm just disappointed to see them removing features that I thought were actually great and unique additions to a game. Yeah. But what are you gonna do? I'd like just to Nintendo. see Yeah. In the in the free updates, I'd like to see more characters that you can put multiple of on a team. Yeah, that that'd be nice. Like, like, you know, Booze and Hammer Brothers. The generics. Uh, so yeah I, yeah, I also... Actually, that was one other thing we didn't mention. So the previous game had captains and sidekicks. And the captains were like your traditional Mario characters. Your Mario, Luigi, uh, Waluigi, Yoshi, etc. And then you had sidekicks, which was like Shy Guys, Hammer Bros, Booze, Koopas, etc. And you picked one team captain... And then three sidekicks. And they changed it so that now you just pick four characters. Which, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I, again, I, I kind of like the sidekick system. I think it was neat, especially with all the deeks and stuff. But mm-hmm. that's... And, and, and they also had the different um, like special captain powers. Like Waluigi's, he would like start running and leave thorn, a thorn wall behind him. And stuff like that. Yeah, I guess they kind of got rid of those special captain items too. Yeah, there's less items in this game for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's it's like the core is broadly the same. It just it just feels like it has less stuff. Yeah. And it's not got a lot of stuff. <laughs> it doesn't have many modes and, you know, the characters all feel actually quite similar. I disagree about that. Actually, okay, they don't feel similar, but they don't they're not as different as they used to be. Right. Right. I, I think they put all uh, a lot of their time into those uh, the high quality animations. Oh yeah, the animations <laughs> are terrible, and there's not nearly enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are not. The, the, I mean, there's not enough animations, but the previous games weren't any better in that respect. Well, okay, true, but as coming from somebody who's played FIFA where there's literally pages and pages of different button combinations for your post-goal uh, celebrations. Uh, and, like, you could press a certain button combination to do a specific action while you're just, like, running on the field and celebrating, and then you do a different one to get a different cutscene at the end. So you could literally, like, you could run around with, with doing the dab pose. Oh, my God. Can you imagine <laughs> the memes... If you could dab with any of the Mario characters for your victory pose, yeah, I mean that would be 
kind of amazing. I mean, DK does like the running around with just the thumbs up, yeah, just like straight out, <laughs> and that's pretty damn good. It's pretty I mean, good. Luigi already dabs in uh, Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I, I think that, you know, having more animations, maybe the ability to influence which ones play, that would be really cool. And I think people love silly Mario animations. I'm just thinking back when Mario Kart 8 came out and the whole internet was ablaze with Luigi's death stare. <laughs> yeah. That was incredible. And I love his death stare. It's hilarious. And so, you know, I think Nintendo would get actually all... Like, I think had they put more animations in the game, the game literally would have sold more just because people would have memed more animations yes. on, on Twitter and on forums and discords and whatever. Like, that's... When you think about it, it's actually kind of a tragedy that they didn't put more in. Yeah. Not just because it's fun, but, like, actually probably a business mistake. Yeah. But... Anyway. <laughs> uh, has anybody else played any games that they want to talk about? Or any uh, yes. I played Disco Elysium. Right. Oh, yeah. I've seen you playing this, and I'm very intrigued. Um, so, to s set it up, uh, Disco Elysium, it's a... It's an RPG um, in which you're a detective who you, you start the game, you wake up, the, the room you're staying in is just absolutely trashed, and you've drinking and likely t done some drugs as well, and your memories are just completely gone. Mm -hmm. And you, you find your... You're a detective, and you're tasked with solving a murder. Um, there was a lynching in this uh, small small area of the city that none of the police uh, actually take jurisdiction over. Um, the town itself is basically run by and policed by the union of the dock workers. Okay. Um, and so, everyone around there, they're, they're, they're not, they don't, they don't really like the cops. Um, so a cop showing up and sniffing around trying to solve this murder of a body that's been hanging in a tree for about a week at this point, because no one wow. had bothered to call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> well, why didn't they call the mafia? I mean, dock workers. Never talk to the cops. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh... It's a it's a nice symmetric game uh, view. It, the the entire game looks like an old oil painting, and you've got a multitude of skills that you can that you can uh, upgrade. Just trying to find the image here. There's a total of there's twenty four different skills, and you can upgrade them all. Um, um, some of them actually, uh, aren't as helpful at higher levels. Like I, I start off with my, uh, starting skill being encyclopedia. So every so often, because you have an inner monologue with all of these different skills chiming in. And so the higher your encyclopedia skill, the more often you're, it'll just chime in with pointless knowledge. 
Nice. Because <laughs> um, it's like an entirely text-based game. Um, or well, well, really text-heavy. Um, but there's actually uh, skill checks with these, uh, these different skills um, that are done by simulated dice rolls. Right. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it was. It took me about twenty-seven hours to get through. It was a. Uh, it was a fun game. The, my my only issue with it is, uh, or well, it, it's very political. Like there, there's a lot of people from different walks of life in this game. A bunch of different political views. Like you've got the whole union shit going on, with the dock workers that, and this game gives you a lot of freedom. You can be racist if you want. Yes. I have yeah, heard about this. I think you posted a screenshot from, from one of those dialogue choices. And it was so ridiculous, though. It was like, yes, I am down with racism. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not down with no, that. No, I am not down I, with I, racism. I, I, I steered it's like, clear of that. Just, I, uh, and then the third option was like, just walk away. <laughs> I, I, I steered clear of that. Uh, like, a lot of the... Pl I just... I was... My focus was like, I don't care. I'm just trying to solve this crime. <laughs> um, but yeah, it... Uh, from what I've uh, read online, it... Depending on... Your, the different skills you go with, like, it can be a very... It, it can turn... The way the game plays can end up being very different. Um, but uh, from, from looking into it, I think there's three unique endings and I think 12 different game over scenarios. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't actually hit any game over scenarios. I thought I did, but I didn't. But, uh, yeah, so... No, it, it 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 won multiple Game of the Year awards um, mm -hmm. the year it came out, which I think was twenty eighteen. Yeah, and then I think the director's cut, the the director's cut update was twenty nineteen, which actually added full voice acting. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a lot of spoken dialogue in this game. Um, and it's like it, it it's kind of open world too like it's a small open world of like the little area of the town you're investigating but like everyone has a lot to say and uh you know i i i actually prefer that in some ways like a small world a smaller open world but the world is actually actually feels like a world yeah because yeah, there's small stuff and everywhere and yeah super and, dense. and that's what this is it's small and dense um and yeah and as i said like there's a lot of different ways you can play um as you uh but as you uh play your inner monologue will chime in sometimes and they can chime in with a thought that'll result in a different a different kind of skill that you can internalize and while you're internalizing it sometimes some of your skills might take a little bit of a hit but as time progresses um you're basically researching the skill and then it gets added to uh what you have F so one that i had early on was called hobo cop <laughs> hobo cop um because like you have no memory and you're just you because of how much you trashed that room uh they want they want you to pay like a hundred 
Like, I, I talked them down to, like, a hundred dollars. Or, um... Oh, what's the currency they use in the game? Uh, I, I talked them down to a hundred real. Um, <laughs> okay. To, uh... That's a, that's a real currency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, ta- I talked them down. So, I had to ca- get together a hundred dollars to have access to my room again for the first night. Or I, or I was going to be a hobo. I was going to have to find somewhere outside to sleep. Um, so after internalizing hobo cop um, and finding a plastic bag, I could walk around with the plastic bag in my hand and you can press a... Um, there's one button you can press that will highlight all like interactable objects and it would make like any bottles on the ground just like light up a little bit. So I could gather those bottles <laughs> and I could turn them and like the hobo cop gave me a bonus on how much money I would get back for turning in bottles. Oh so God. I just cleaned up the streets just to, to get some, I still didn't have enough money at the end of the first day, but, but uh, up streets yep. with criminals <laughs> and litter. <laughs> I, I was Hobocop. <laughs> and I looked the part too. Nice. And you thought Robocop could clean up the streets. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen yet. Hobo haven't Cop. seen Hobocop. But yeah, it was definitely a, a fun experience. Um, I, I, I definitely recommend checking it out. It does go on sale um, at a pretty decent price pretty frequently on Steam. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, I mean, it's, it's had some sustained popularity, so usually when a game is still being talked about four years later, it's quite a good game. Yes. <laughs> I still, I think I see uh, people posting screenshots from it in, in, like, on Twitter and stuff, so. There's a Discord I'm in where somebody was saying that they're getting their dad to play it right now. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds, it, yeah, it, it could be a dad game. Depends on the dad. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, My girlfriend's dad would probably love it. <laughs> is, is he not a cop? <laughs> no, he's not a cop. But something tells me he would like it. <laughs> All right, so... I guess that means that it's time to talk about our, you know, final segment here where we're going to talk about our favorite levels. Now, you know, levels, stages, screens, areas, zones, sections, biomes. There's a, a ton of different words you can use to describe basically, you know, a part of a game. Chapters, and acts, maps, <laughs> courses. <laughs> Like, there's a lot. Did we get stages yet? I think so. Okay. Uh, I, missed, I might have missed it. <laughs> there was a lot there. Uh, so, Areas? Yeah, we're going to be, you know, a little bit, you know, we're going to be pretty inclusive on what we consider, you know, our favorite levels here. Um, uh, each of us picked three that we're, like, pretty passionate about, but we also got some honorable, honorable mentions. Um, so I'll start with one. Uh now, all three of my honorable mentions are, like, my favorite level of, in in games that are, are just, like, you know, kind of defined by their levels. For example, uh, my first honorable mention is uh, Delfino Plaza from Mario Kart DS. That's my oh, favorite yeah. Mario Kart track. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's a good I, Mario Kart track. Yeah, it's got great music. You know, the only the only good thing Sunshine ever gave us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got something that a lot of Mario Kart courses don't actually do, which is it has it has a split at the very start of the course. It's not very long, but just having it there uh, like makes the course very dynamic. A lot of tight turns, sick drawbridge dr- jump. Yeah, and it's got one of the like the hardest shortcuts that's meant to be a shortcut in the game with the alleyway shortcut because like you need a mushroom to do it but you also need to be like turning and drifting really well to be able to do it too it's, yeah. it's pretty difficult whereas a lot of shortcuts in the Mario games just like have a mushroom and go over this terrain over here yeah they're are, like pretty easy so yeah Delfino Plaza I think is you know one of, one of my favorites and I <laughs> I love to see it. I, ho- I hope it comes back in the uh, uh, Mario Kart 8 DLC packs. Yeah, uh, still... Yeah, it's one of the few, like, really great classic levels that isn't in Mario Kart 8 already. Yeah. Still a lot more of those tracks to go. Yeah, so... <laughs> Cross my fingers, there's a good chance. Uh, my, my first honorable mention is Arid Heights from Roller Coaster Tycoon Loopy Landscapes Expansion. Ooh. Wow, okay. <laughs> Nice. I spent a lot of time on on that uh, park as a kid, or like not even just as a kid, but like back in like high school playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. Still, um, just the park that has no budget or unlimited budget. You just got to keep the customers happy. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty sick. It's it's a fun one. And it's also it's it's a sizable uh, it's a sizable. God damn it. It's a sizable size. <laughs> it, it, it is a huge it's, park. It's a huge park. And so you can put a lot into it. And yeah, I, I definitely spent a lot of time just doing lots of dumb shit on that level. Just like building like huge roller coasters. Just not having to worry about budget. Just going crazy with it. Yeah, I think for some reason, I don't know why I ended up into this pattern. I would always put a go-kart track a custom-made go-kart track at the entrance on Arid Heights. I don't know why I fell into that pattern. I was just like, it's in the desert, right? Go-kart track in the desert. Something about that. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I would always have like just just the regular train that would just go all the way around the park so people could get to like different areas of the park easily. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I never actually played that one. Like as a kid, I never had the expansions uh, for Roller Coaster Tycoon, and I was kind of really bad at it. So like even some of the, like the beginner parts, I couldn't actually beat. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> See, that was the other joy of Arid Heights is that I think it's like yeah, what third level in Loopy Landscapes? Yeah, third or fourth. And so you don't actually have to be very good at Roller Coaster Tycoon to unlock that level. You and... start with it unlocked. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so then you know you could just go to this park with unlimited budget and screw around if that's what you want to do as long as the guests are happy which isn't actually that hard to achieve Mm -hmm. when you have unlimited money yeah just hire you know 60 handymen done yeah (laughs) kiosks everywhere (laughs) yeah that's that's definitely that's definitely a highlight from the roller coaster tycoon series i suppose um yeah, so um, for my honorable mention, uh, first one, this isn't really a specific level, although I'm sure I could pick specific levels, but 
just a big shout out to the minecart levels from Donkey Kong Country. Okay, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I, I fucking love those levels. And they're so fun. Um, the game is mostly like more of a standard platformer. And then it just gives you these like crazy minecart challenges of just, you know, jumping at the right time, like branching paths and, you know, kind of getting the secrets by just like hitting the jumps perfectly and stuff like that. Uh, it's just, they're so fun and they have great music. Mm-hmm. Like they're like the rest of the game, like the rest of the, yeah. <laughs> like everything about Donkey Kong country. Um, but I love those minecart levels in particular, and they're so much fun. And I mean, you could almost consider them a precursor to the uh, the vehicle interlude <laughs> mm-hmm. that is so popular in a lot of games. Uh, but those levels are just so much fun. I have such fond memories. Some of them are tough as nails, and you basically need to memorize patterns. But it's not to the point of like... The Battletoads yeah. tunnel level. Yeah, dishonorable mention to the Battletoads yeah. like <laughs> yeah. hoverbike level. Dishonorable mention to that hoverbike level. I would always, always get fucked on that level because yeah. it's so hard. You need to know what's coming. You have to memorize it. But then, yeah, I would always lose too many lives to the tunnel to ever like beat the rest of the game. It's like the second or third level or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah, I think it's the third level yeah. in Battletoads. So anyway, that's how not to do uh, like tough... Yeah, rare, old... get your shit together. Yeah, that's how not to do a tough old school <laughs> 2D side-scrolling uh, vehicle interlude. Whereas Donkey Kong Country, minecarts, hell yeah. Nice. All right, uh, my next honorable mention... Uh, is my favorite Smash Bros. stage, which is Smashville. Ah. Uh, it's beautiful in its simplicity. Yeah. Now, like, there's there's a lot of Smash Bros. levels that, that I love, but some of them, like, they don't really feel like Smash Bros. Like, I love Sky World. That is objectively not a Smash Bros. level. It's a totally different game at that point. Yeah, and like the way we play Temple, I love it, but it's like it's so different than a normal Smash Bros. game because you're just bouncing around like madmen in the bottom section yeah. at 200% damage. <laughs> like it's very, it's as chaotic as you can get you're without items. You're playing pinball. Yes, but Smashville, like of the levels, that's like okay, this is a level that we're gonna play because we want to just play some like kind of pure Smash. I think it's the best one going. If it's Saturday night, you yeah. gotta. Yeah, if Saturday Night, yeah, absolutely have to get the sick KK Slider music. Um, and really, it's all about that movement platform. Because, like, a level like Final Destination, it's, it's too boring. Like, there's, it's just a flat surface. There's, like, no aerial game with platforms that you can do to, like, you know, stop or, like, catch somebody while they're stopping on a platform. Uh, and something like Battlefield, the platforms are static. It kind of, like, Certain characters are better on that just because of the height of the battlefield and like Sephiroth's up smash can cover an entire platform and then some, but somebody like that has a narrow up smash, like we fit trainer or Roy, you know, the characters I like playing, uh, are like way worse at hitting people on those platforms. But because the platform's moving, it just makes the game entirely dynamic. Like at any point in the game when you're trying to approach somebody else, you're gonna have a unique approach because of where that moving platform is. Yeah. And as well, the fact that the platform goes like quite a ways off of the main platform while it's moving, 
like it makes things very tense because it gives you that uh, thing that happens in some levels where there's a section of the level that's pretty close to the kill box. So like you can get some like really low percentage KOs if you like catch people while they're on the platform like off to the side. And it also helps prevent people from just camping on that, like certain people we know. <laughs> uh, so. Certain unnamed people. <laughs> you know who you are. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I I think that like it's an it's an incredibly simple level, but I love it. It's so good. Uh, my next honor will mention is Long Night of Solace from Halo Reach. Ooh, okay. Uh, you're going to have to refresh my memory. This is the one that starts out with the battle on the beach as you work your way to the... Uh, uh, what What's the ship called? Um, is it like a specific ship or it, a classic it, it's ship? It's the ship that you end up taking... It, it's like a experimental ship that you end up taking into orbit. And then this is the level where you've got all those space battles. Where you're, you're flying flying around in the ship oh, controlling right. it fighting off the banshees and seraphs mm -hmm. before eventually boarding a covenant corvette and uh fighting your way to the bridge to reroute it right yeah that level's pretty sick and it's just it's and once you're up flying around in space it's just beautiful to look at too because like between halo reach and destiny like i absolutely love the sky boxes that Bungie does. Oh yes, for those games, they They're just best look, in the they look beautiful. Yeah, I'm not actually familiar. Personally, I haven't played Halo Reach. You haven't owned a Microsoft console. I yeah, that's that's. Tr I have a PC. It's their fault. <laughs> I mean, it, it it's in the Master Chief Collection on Game Pass, and you can get three months for a dollar right now. I I could in Hashtag fact not an ad. Not an ad. I could in fact play it. Um, you just got to download 140 gigs or whatever. I got, I got a lot of other things to play, though. <laughs> yeah. You know, while we're on Halo, I'll just bring up one more honorable mention. 343 Guilty Spark from Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, the, the first okay. introduction of the Flood. Oh, that level. See, I didn't like that level because I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I It just... The atmosphere in that level is perfect for what it's setting up um do do not play if you're playing uh combat evolved anniversary do not play it on the anniversary graphics it ruins the atmosphere the level is way too bright <laughs> oh dear all right so my next honorable mention is a game that i think i actually had near the top of my list for my top video games uh but it's the cars level from worms armageddon <laughs> okay and the reason i'm putting this in as an honorable mention is because i played so much of that level in worms armageddon because it was one of my favorites for for a few reasons uh and really it's the fact that the level lets you use pretty much all of the weapons and items in that game really effectively uh you can do some crazy grenade lob shots across uh you know, these, the, the sort of tall pile of cars. Uh, there's some parts that are already open for going deeper in the level. So you can kind of like take cover from aerial shots. Uh, 
it's very deep. So if you want to make some bunkers by using the blowtorch, you can do that easily. There's some spots where you can make girder fortresses. Uh, it's open enough that you can use aerial bombardment weapons really effectively. Uh, you, if you're really good with the bazooka, you can do crazy bazooka shots on that level. Like the level really has everything that I want in a Worms Armageddon map. And it's just one of the built-in maps. It's like available by default. And mm -hmm. it's, it's probably my favorite built-in map in that game. Nice. I, I, I think I rarely ever play on the built-in maps. I usually generated them. And I always went with like the cave ones with the with the closed ceiling yeah. just for ninja rope shenanigans. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's actually I will say that's the that's the biggest thing that cars doesn't have is you can still get some ninja rope shenanigans in. Oh, of course. To be clear, best physics in any video game is the ninja rope <laughs> physics in Armageddon. Yeah, but uh, in terms of an open top level, I think it's probably the best level in the game. Yeah, uh, of, and, of and, that style. And like you said, the open top lets you use like the aerial airstrikes and like yeah. bunker buster and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I loved playing on like the generated cave maps, but it is pretty different. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that that's my that's my shout out to my favorite Worms Armageddon map. Nice. Right, uh, my last honorable mention uh, is my favorite case from Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Uh -huh. uh, Rise from the Ashes, the uh, DS exclusive final case from the first game. Uh, because like I think it just, it's weird to me that like, well, okay, I guess that's, that isn't true. Like, I was going to say like, it's weird to me that they, that my favorite game is from the first game, but then I remembered, oh, right, the first three games came out in Japan before uh, this case ever came out because it was added to the uh, DS release. So they actually did have a lot of time to uh, nail the formula. Um, it's got a great new credit song, first and foremost. It's the best thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like uh, a lot of different characters like you have a different sidekick for this one uh and it's you against edgeworth in court which i mean edgeworth is my favorite prosecutor in, in the games like he's he's great edgeworth yeah. is the best prosecutor yeah yeah like he's just the right amount of a dick but also wants to see the right result yeah uh so he doesn't start out that way Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, he he. Hey man, there's a little thing called character yep. development. That's okay, right. Uh, love to see it. Yeah, you love to see it. <laughs> uh, and one of the things I thought was the best about this case is the gimmicks that they added because of the game being on the DS. Uh, this was done in two different ways: uh, the touch screen with the uh, luminol to detect like blood stains in the area. As well as um, fingerprint, fingerprinting, where you you know put like dust on a surface and then blow into the DS microphone to like blow it away, and like as cheesy as those are, I thought they were kind of cool. And they added a dynamic to the case that uh, is like not as much there in the other cases, where it feels more like like you know actual crime scene investigation, where in the Phoenix Wright games, oftentimes. You are ambushed at trial by a bunch of stupid evidence, including updated autopsy reports, which are completely not not fair and completely unrealistic. But in this game, like you were able to like figure out uh, like interesting facts that you could bring up 
uh, in the trials like yourself so you kind of had that knowledge beforehand instead of being like oh shit okay there's this person's blood was at the scene fuck <laughs> uh, and like the, who who the uh, uh, actual villain ended up being like it's, it's a great character there's a bunch of different twists and how you actually win the case is really cool um, because you for once in Phoenix Wright you actually use courtroom like law to win the case yeah. Which doesn't happen in any of the other cases. It doesn't usually no. now. <laughs> Every really. other case is full kangaroo court. This one, like, <laughs> there's a little bit of like evidence law at the very end that that the, the let, that lets you trap the um the the real culprit. Yeah, I I definitely agree that that has to be my favorite case out of pretty much all the cases I've played in Phoenix Wright mm-hmm. because it's just so good. And like you said, they really had a, a lot of time to nail the formula by then. And it's great. Yeah. And one actually weird thing about how they nailed the formula is that... So the first game is kind of the only one that has the three-day structure. Every other game went to only like two day, a two-day trial structure. Like investigation, trial, investigation, trial. This one, the first game, the third, fourth, and fifth trial all had three-day trials. And like... For like the third case, it kind of dragged on a little bit. The fourth case also kind of dragged on a little bit. The fifth case, though, it, it made use of those three days like very, very well, uh, I thought. And like I haven't, I haven't missed the three-day structure in any of the other games. Uh, like they, they've all been fine with just the two-day, but you know they did do a really good job with this one. Well, and I think, like you said as well, the sort of additional investigative sort of features. Not only do they kind of help with just like really setting up kind of some immersion in what's going on, but I think they also probably help the three-day structure work a bit more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. Like you have more investigation and more investigation in the investigation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my favorite Phoenix Wright case or Ace Attorney case. We gotta ex- expand it to the universe. We gotta yeah. expand it. Yeah. The, the the extended universe. Mm-hmm. Extended universe, including Phoenix Wrong. My last uh, honorable mention is what I see as the epitome of this genre of game. And it's Sen's Fortress from Dark Souls. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Dark Souls is brought up on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> fuck that level. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fuck that level. <laughs> That level has such a... Yeah, that level's got some fucking bullshit. <laughs> bullshit traps, bullshit stuff out of nowhere that you're never going to know unless you, you know, run, run into it, into it already. Time, yeah. <laughs> but it, that's like... that's Bad the, platforming. Yeah. <laughs> the, the epitome of Dark Souls. Yes. But once you get through it, that's satisfaction. Yeah. Guy on a roof you have to kill before... Or else the, the boss of the area is impossible. Iron Tarkus. Yep. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's... As much as I fucking hate Sense Fortress, it's got Iron Tarkus. Yeah. So I can't hate it completely. The the, the best summon <laughs> yes. in Dark Souls. He'll just he'll just one me- like one v one the boss for you. He'll one shot the boss <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> Knock it the fuck off the stage. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so my, my last honorable mention here is uh, Grass Town from Cave Story. 
Not all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and like, I gotta say, I, I mean, it's tough to pick my favorite part of Cave Story, but I think Grass Town is my favorite part of Cave Story. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. Because, I mean, there's so much it's got going for it, you know? You've kind of figured out like how the game works by that point. It's still fairly early, but you've figured out the game and what it's doing. And then it's got some interesting sort of puzzly things you have to figure out. It's got a couple cool boss fights. You get to see uh, the toaster come back. Yes. Right? And then you're like, oh, the toaster's a recurring boss. And yes, I'm talking about Balrog. And yeah, it's got some cool stuff and, you know, there's some cool story beats there, like with the robot and, and things like that, where you kind of, like, things are hinted at. Like, I think it's where the game really sort of, like, comes into its own. Mm-hmm. And also, it just has absolutely banging sound, sound like, banging oh, yeah. music. Like, like I get... So, so bouncy. So, so energetic. bouncy, so energetic, so fun. And, like, it's just, it fits perfectly and I love it. And everything in Grasstown is like basically perfect. Mm-hmm. I love Grasstown. One of the things that's like really great about Grasstown, though, is that like the level design of it is uh, immaculate because it's a bu- it's a bunch of like kind of like not necessarily like rolling hills, but like kind of hilly stuff. It's not a lot of like sharp edges and and like downhill, uphill. And this is where you get the fireball. Yes. So, like, you get the fireball, you start shooting it down these hills, and it just, like, rolls down the hills and annihilates the enemies. It's a great showcase of the weapon. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So, the level design, you don't realize it at first, but not only does the level design support the aesthetic of this sort of, like, you know, sort of, not quite backwater, but, like, it's it's kind of like a small villagey place before, you know, the uh, things went wrong and all these monsters... (laughs) move in and wreck it but like the up and down of the level contributes to the aesthetic and feeling of the place as a sort of abandoned village but then it also makes the weapon you get not only does it showcase how it works really effectively uh, but it it also just makes you like really powerful on the way out which is good because you've already been through this area and Mm -hmm. you don't want to trudge through it again and so it's it actually like supports a lot of the uh, things that you've gotten in there. There's another upgrade too, I, I think. Uh, I can't remember which one, but because there's this some there's some platforming stuff around like fan jumping and things like that that uh, you kind of unlock. Yes, and I that so. that also, you know, it, it shows you how these things work, and and it's just fun. And the level design is so so solid. Like it's got these platforming sections that feel like they are part of the landscape and that's a challenge i think in a story driven like platforming shooter making the world actually feel like a place as opposed to just a you know collection of platforming things with enemies on it yeah like grass town really does feel like you're walking through a town it doesn't feel like just arbitrary platforming with enemies on top of it but it absolutely has some of the best platforming in the game and like, you know, really good shooting mechanics and and stuff like that. Like there's enemies you can't kill until you get the upgrades later in the level and stuff. Mm -hmm. So anyway, very, very strong level design. Nice. And just so fun. Great Mm -hmm. music. It's got it all. Story beats. 
<laughs> What's not to love about Grass Town? The bats. The goddamn bats. Yeah. <laughs> Those bats are super annoying. No, they're not that bad. They're not that bad, but you know. They're bats. They're bats. What game what game with bats are the bats not just a nightmare? Uh MLB, the show. The, bat, the bats are pretty like not they're, they're not they're not that bad in that one i suppose not <laughs> okay so bats are supposed to be a pain <laughs> so there's only one bat in that game that is is like a good bat and it's the happy fat bat yes near the end of the game who you will kill and destroy his dreams even though he did nothing to you and will not hurt you <laughs> Now, before we move on to our top three, I think there's one honorable mention we can all agree on, and that's World 2-Quicksand in Super Mario Bros. 3, also known as the Angry Sun Zone. Nah, I'm over it. (laughs) (laughs) You're cut! That's right. Now, see, let me get to the actual best level of Super Mario Bros. 3, which is my number three pick, and that's World 5-3. Wolf 5-3 does something that no other level in that game does, which is have Karibo's shoe in it. Yep. Mm. Now, Karibo's shoe is the dumb little green shoe that the Goomba is in that is only in that one level. And that's it exemplifies, um, like, one of the things I think the Mario platformer games do so well, which is the gimmick levels. Like, a lot of the uh, Mario games, like, there's there's a number of levels that you know like t- you know might introduce uh, a concept and build upon it and throughout the world, but then there's some where there's just weird shit that is like bespoke and only for that stage that like maybe shows up in one or two stages. That's awesome. Like um, the uh, the bone uh, dragon like uh, trolley kind of stages from New Super Mario Bros. Those were hilarious, especially multiplayer. Oh yeah. Uh, but back to back to this level. Um, so Karibo's shoe, it's just fun to like hop around in this thing. Like it just feels fun. Um, they do a great job of having like chompers and spinies in the level where like normally you can't jump on those, but with Karibo's shoe you can. And that even goes down to like there's an upper section and a lower section, and the lower section has a bunch of pits that. On most other levels would just be pits, but in this level they've got chompers at the bottom. So if you have Karibo's shoe at that point, like you can like the, the lower section's like a breeze. Whereas if you don't, it's actually like there's some pretty tricky jumps regarding piranha plants that are like like I mean this is world five, so at that point of the game, like it's it's you know kind of expected, but they're still pretty tricky. Um and like how they just the sequence of the level, how they introduce the shoe and then, like, the stuff that you might want to jump on, they show, like, if you hang out long enough, like, the shoe will, like, start jumping around on, like, the chompers in in this one section. And also, um, the shoe jumps on very specific blocks uh, that are, um, if you hit them from below, they have a coin under them. So that's, like, a little subtle hint that maybe, like, you can hit it from beneath. Because otherwise you're just like gonna run and jump on it on top, and if you jump on it from the top, it just dies and you don't get it, which sucks. <laughs> but if you bop it from the bottom, you get that shoe. And like, w- one of the main reasons why I wanted to pick up like Mario Maker was so I could fuck around with Karibo's shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I never ended up picking it up. 
because I was super broke at the time when that game came out. But like, yeah, I love Karibo Shoe. It's so cool. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why that's one of my favorite levels and why Super Mario Bros. 3 is my favorite Mario game. Yeah, come on, Nintendo. You've made so many 3D Mario games. Where is Karibo's shoe in 3D? You can have a sponsor. You can I, have, like, Nike's shoe. I think the closest thing has to be the is probably the ice skates in Super Mario 3D World. Hmm. That's, like, the closest thing they've done to the shoe. They're cool, but I would say that they're different. Yeah. Are skates shoes? <laughs> is this the new is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh... <laughs> Uh, my number three is a very technical level. That in, in this game, this level actually took the longest for them to create. Um, it's Effect and Cause from Titanfall 2. Oh, yeah. I know about this level. It's sick as fuck. Yeah. Um, I, I actually just replayed Titanfall 2's campaign um, while working on this list. But so... The level, it starts out, you, sh- you show up at a, uh, an enemy research facility, an abandoned research facility, uh, to rendezvous with a friendly pilot, um, and, but you find him dead. Um, but, but like before you find him, you start kind of shifting through time a little bit, because um, whatever experiments they were doing there, they've kind of made a time unstable in it. So... When you find the body of the friendly pilot you're trying to meet up with, he has a he has a device on him, and this is what allows you to. It just gives you the prompt. For me, it was the F key, but it says press F to time travel. <laughs> yes. Um, so what it does is um, it take when you activate it, it takes you from the present to the exact same spot you're in in the past when the laboratory was still up and pristine and running and everything. And that, that's basically the whole mechanic of that level. Um, you, have to swap, you have to swap between times to uh, progress through some areas. Because like in the past, oh, security's all up. There's these laser doors. Uh, swap back to the present. They're shut off because it's all uh, run down and destroyed. So you can go through the doorway. Um, but in some places in the, uh, the present, shit's on fire. <laughs> so you gotta go to the pass to uh, be able to pass it and and there's some spots where like platforming and like the wall running rely on you swapping back and forth while you're mm-hmm. doing this um, while you're doing the platforming or the wall running to get through the section and there's one there's one spot where there's a, a like a vent you're falling through and like in the present like it's it's first blocked off by like some burning rubble you drop in, um, see you, you see you drop in in the past, and there's a fan blade. You gotta swap <laughs> back to the present, get to where the fan blade's gone. But then there's more burning debris, so you gotta switch back, and you gotta switch back and forth with perfect timing to get through this uh, vent you're falling through. Um, but they also do something uh, really cool with the uh, combat here, because when you get to certain sections. Um, there will be enemies in both time frames. So you have to manage fighting the enemies in both time frames at the same time as you're swapping back and forth. Um, and what is nice is when you do swap, you see like a little, for a brief period of time, there's like a little blue glow 
where an enemy was in the past or, or present, whichever you swapped from. So you'll you'll have a you'll briefly know where they still are going to be when you go back, but it it just leads to you you're you're having to manage enemies in both time frames, and like so you might think oh I'm gonna swap back to to regain some health no I'm getting attacked by something else, mm-hmm. um yeah. and like That's cool. I only replayed it on normal but on my initial playthrough on the hardest difficulty, um. That just really adds to that and just makes it really a fun level. Um, and there's even a section at the end where you get to swap between time in your Titan. Oh, nice. Um, but then, oh, and uh, there's some sections where the same enemies that are there in the past are still there in the future or in the present. If you kill them in the past, they're gone in the present. Of course, yeah, you gotta do that. <laughs> And uh, from a technical sense, this was actually, like, a really tough level to make because, I mean, you think about, like, uh, Halo Combat Evolved and Halo 2 Anniversary, where it's basically just the same thing, same hitboxes and everything, just like uh, you're just swapping between the different visuals. This, you're switching between the visuals, but the hitboxes and everything are changing, too. Because, like, there's platform... Yeah, like, there's platforms that are there in one time frame that aren't in the other, and it just... It's just a fantastic level, fantastic design. Yeah, and, like, having to make sure your game's optimized enough so that you can have all those different assets, because, like you said, in the past, it's, like, very pristine, but in the present, it's, like, very run down, very different visual look. Like, you gotta have different assets for those, so... Yeah, that's like really impressive. Yeah, and to see, yeah, and like seamlessly swapping between, you practically have to have the entire level loaded twice and be able to dynamically just flip a bunch of things instantly. Uh, And um, yeah, like when I first heard about this level, like, wait, they put time travel in time? That that seems like a (laughs) curveball. That seems out of left field. That's weird. But like, I, I, I watched just like a short clip of it. I'm less like, okay, no, I can't see any more of this. I need to play this for myself eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gone around to it yet, but like that's how how good the first impression of that level was. Yeah, no, it and Timefall 2, it, it's a short campaign, but it's a really fun campaign too. There's a lot of love put into that campaign. Nice. Yeah, it reminds me actually of a game of another game that I cannot for the life of me remember the name of. It was this weird shooter where you, uh, and this is a, probably a fucking spoiler for the game, but I don't think it was particularly popular. But it was like this abandoned Soviet island, and it's a shooter, and you arrive at it, and then the game kind of has this mechanic where you're traveling back and forth between the present and the past. And in the past, it's this vibrantly alive Soviet like research station on an isolated island in the Pacific. At least I think it was the Pacific. And then, you know, back in the present, it's just a decrepit, abandoned installation. And there's these kind of things where it actually sounds quite similar, though it wasn't as dynamic. You wouldn't be switching in between gunfights, really. Uh, But very much like for puzzle solving and things like that. But I can't remember the name of this game. (laughs) But yeah, there was like, you know, Tesla coils in the past and things like that. Like very much kind of inspired by this idea of like the... The Soviet time travel story that is kind of almost a trope because of Red Alert. Um, 
but it was a shooter and yeah it was actually it, it was fun it was fairly it wasn't like it didn't blow my mind mostly but it had some fun stuff in it very it sounds like they might have been inspired by it because i think it was before titanfall 2 um actually they said their inspiration came from it was a history channel documentary <laughs> um I forget what it's called right now, but it was one where it was focusing on what happened, what would happen if humans just disappeared. And it showed like modern day, the cities, and then like what they would just look like completely abandoned and just time had just taken over. <laughs> that That's where actually where they got their inspiration from. So you're saying they got their inspiration from Tokyo Jungle. <laughs> <laughs> But with less Pomeranian fucking. <laughs> oh, actually, here we go. It was called Singularity is the game I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. Which, oh, okay. When you said like time traveling shooter, I'm like, I know there was a game called Singularity about that name that. I didn't realize it was like really Soviet themed though. Yeah. I thought it was just like near future stuff, but that's that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a little bit like, yeah, it was like, it was a little bit of both. It was like, I think near future sort of with some sort of, there was like, because you're Americans, right? But the, uh, I think you have a bit of near future American tech, but then there's this like sort of Soviet punk old tech that, that, Soviet you, punk. that you get from time traveling. I don't know. Tesla coils aren't real, but it's it, it had this weird like, you know, like 60s. That's what they want me to believe. You know that like sort of like 60s, exaggerated 60s era stuff, like maybe like, you know, think like Team Fortress 2, right? The big yeah. computers and stuff like that, but like with fantasy Soviet tech, like Tesla coils and vacuum and fantasy and, Fallout, and basically. then real, yeah, yes, almost like Fallout, but Soviet style. Anyway, yeah, that yeah, Singularity. It was a competent shooter. Like it wasn't. It was a B game. It was a B game. Yeah. <laughs> But it was a good B game. Like yeah, I, I it was, enjoyed it, was, it. It was from the era of B games. I enjoyed it. Like it's one of those games that it doesn't. People don't really talk about it a lot. But it was a good game and solid. It was kind of like the Saboteur, right? Another B game. Another B game. <laughs> but I, I liked that game, right? It's GTA, but in World War Fr World War Two France, and it fucking works the concept to the hilt. It has racing sections where you're in an old school, like, Grand Prix car that, like, looks ridiculous because it's from the 1930s, like the car is, because obviously it would have been old even at the time. But anyway, I'm getting off topic here. Yeah. B-games, man. We should have a B-game episode. We should. Uh, Did the B-movie have a game adaptation? I think so. Ooh. <laughs> The jokes are writing themselves for our future episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if mine are in an order, but I'm going to start off with, uh, for my one of my top three levels, uh, it's actually a chapter, and it's chapter three, Glitzville from Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door. Oh, yeah. Glitzville is so good. Glitzville is incredible. Um, so Paper Mario is an action RPG. And it's a lot of fun, but where the real shine, like the shining stars of Paper Mario. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> the, the ones you're collecting? Uh, yeah, the ones you're collecting. Uh, but anyway, like, like the real, 
the real fun of Paper Mario is, I think, the writing. Like, the games are just, like, they have great writing and they're tons of fun. And Chapter 3 essentially is just like a wrestling championship. It's the tournament arc. Yeah. And Everybody loves the tournament arc. Is there a beach chapter too? I don't don't know. I don't know if there's a beach chapter in the Thousand Year Door. There's definitely a beach chapter in a Paper Mario game. I just can't remember which one. There's a hot tub adjacent chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, chapter three, Glitzville. It's so much fun because... Basically, you go to this, you know, Glitzville area and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of Vegasy. But then the star that you're looking for, the power star, is just on a championship belt. And so, you know, Mario's a stand-up guy. He's not just going to go take it, even though he's trying to save the world. He's not going to try and convince people, hey, I need to save the world. Can you give me this power star? No. He's going to follow the rules. He's going to beat the champion to obtain the belt to get the power star. And so you just end up going on this uh, on this tournament arc where you have to just instead of... And all the battles occur as like battles in the ring. And, and then you get in the change rooms after and there's like, there's like shit, shit talking in the back rooms and stuff. And I'm like, it's so ridiculous. It's actually fairly different. It's wildly different from the normal sort of gameplay in all of the other chapters, but it's so fun. The, and the writing's hilarious because they're doing a lot of these sort of just callbacks to, you know, wrestling references and things like that. And just that style of like just big showmanship. And it's it's so funny. Mario, he's not Mario anymore. He's the great Gonzalez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's a very fun chapter of an already like extremely fun game. And I, I love it so much. Also, you get Yoshi. Yeah. You get Yoshi. And it's like, it's like badass Yoshi with a hairdo. I don't even know what and to call his hairdo. It's almost like a mohawk, but not quite a mohawk. A faux hawk? Yeah, sure. I don't know. <laughs> and, and like, isn't it like you get the Yoshi egg and then you have like some task you have to do. And depending on how fast you complete the task, it, that's... What determines the color of your Yoshi? Something like that. I, I've, I'm honestly not exactly sure. So your Yoshi is not the same color. Like every, I think when I've gone through the game, I get a different color Yoshi. Uh, but everyone generally gets a different color Yoshi. I mean, there's only like maybe 10 colors or something. I don't know. I don't even know how many colors there are. But you can have a different color Yoshi, uh, depending, I guess, on that task. I don't remember what exactly... The game doesn't explain to you what determines the Yoshi yeah, color. Yeah, no, like, it's, it's the uh, same thing. But. So, yeah, you know, you could have a, a black Yoshi, a blue Yoshi. I had an orange Yoshi. You had an orange Yoshi. There's a pink Yoshi. Like, your Yoshi can be one of many colors, and that's kind of cool. That's, that's such a great little little touch. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's such a cool touch. And, I mean, with something like that, where it's just a sprite recolor, like... I don't know if, like, they even stored the assets or if they just just dynamically recolor it in the engine, but um, it's certainly simple enough graphically that they could do that. Mm -hmm. Not that that really matters. Anyway, it's just, it's it's a fun chapter. Yeah, you you get your Yoshi when you get to an unbeatable enemy, and the only way to beat the enemy is with Yoshi's help. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, really fun chapter. And, like... You know, the champion, he's not even, like, he's not really a villain. He's just the reigning champion. Yeah, and he's just, you know, 
as reigning champions are, kind of a dick. Yeah. He is kind of a dick. It's true. But, I mean... He's not evil, though. Yeah. He's Rock Hawk. Rock Hawk. Yeah. So I just I just love that chapter. It's a really fun chapter. Mm-hmm. And the music, the, like, championship battle music, it's just, it's just stuck in my head. <laughs> it's so fun. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my... It's, and it's funny, because like in a way, it's almost kind of like the gimmick chapter of that game. Because again, it's very different in terms of the way it plays out than the usual Paper Mario formula for a chapter, but tons of fun. Totally. All right. My number two is from Battlefield Bad Company 2, Ooh. and it's Laguna Presa. Laguna Presa is the map that's kind of like wetlands jungly. Uh, it's... It's one of the smaller maps in the game. Um, yeah, okay, so... If I'm specifically I'm, talking Conquest If here. I'm remembering right, that's the one where one side starts up on the hill. They have yep. to fight down through a forest to a shitty shack yep. around... There's a shack around one... one there's of the a couple fights. shacks, okay, in fairness. Yeah. There's more than one shack. <laughs> there's more than one shack that you can blow up. If you're in rush mode, there's a shack around the, uh, the mm-hmm. rush point, though. Um, and then the uh, the other team, they have like this sort of base area. Yeah, yeah. And the yeah in 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 conquest mode, which is mainly what I'll be talking about here. Um, well, only one I'm talking about here. Uh, I didn't actually play Rush that much. Uh, was there's you know the the two starting bases. One's like you know in the back, kind of flat ground. One's up up a hill a little bit. There's the like area that's kind of, that's like bordering a swamp that's got a few different houses on it and jet skis i think it's the only like conquest map in the game with the jet skis i think it is so that's just like another awesome like custom thing that they added for this one level um and the jet skis like they're not that useful but it's so dope that they're there yeah uh (laughs) yeah then there's another control point that is up on a hill like it's got like you know like two different entrances and like kind of cliffy sides around it so like the sight lines the sight lines on this map are incredible like there's a lot of like natural brush and like small cliffs and hills that are just like blocking things and making it so that it's very easy to just like kind of run around like i mostly played this map playing as recon so i could have the ghillie suit with a shotgun (laughs) and the motion tracker and i would tear it up on this map because uh it was small enough that you could be super mobile. You had the ghillie suit, like let you blend in very well. Uh, the motion tracker it was so overpowered in that game. Uh, and like the, the last um, control point was like kind of in a swampy area with like a couple kind of like tables around it and like the UAV spot, which was a terrible UAV spot because it was just completely on the open, so never use it. <laughs> but yeah, like it's. It's the it's my favorite shooter level ever. Like whenever that that level came up, I was just overjoyed because yeah. it was just gonna be so fun. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely uh, and I, I just checked. I was a little confused to be honest, but that level's also really solid. And I think I agree that was the best conquest map. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very very solid level design. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing about it that is really good is that it's actually quite balanced. Like, I don't think infantry 
or vehicles have an advantage on that map. And additionally, I don't even think different kinds of vehicles have much of an advantage on that, ma that map. Well, there's there's not that many vehicles. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's no air vehicles and only one tank per side. Yeah, but like, like the, it's very the, concentrated. But the tank versus like the sort of IFB, like they're both good. Uh, I want to say Bad Company 2 was actually the last battlefield to have good vehicle to on foot player balance yeah because the yeah. because the maps were made for a console uh player base that wasn't you know 64 people a match yeah like, i actually i actually think bad company 2 was probably like it might be my favorite battlefield game it and, is it's my favorite shooter like, yeah of anything and the only uh, like and none of the newer battlefield games i've played since it are in the running like the other battlefield game that might be my favorite is 2142 and that's completely different and it's totally different <laughs> and but 2142 has massive massive maps yeah um, it's a, and, because it's a pc game yeah well and, and it really utilized those huge maps uh, to mm -hmm. great effect with a completely different style of gameplay and i think that everything a lot of the stuff i've played since then is in kind of a middling ground and i don't know if it's perhaps because maybe it's the limitations of consoles are still there but not gone or or maybe just it's the design philosophy i don't know what it is but definitely the maps aren't big enough but they're also not small enough maybe that's not the problem but yeah. there's my, my problem other... was, was that they that they always for the newer battlefield games that the conquest maps just felt too big where it felt like you were forced to be in vehicles for large parts of it. Like going yeah. from one control point to another on a lot of maps as just a foot soldier felt like you were wasting your time. Yeah. I mean, and that's not, I don't think that's necessarily a problem in the game, but like take uh, like Battlefield 3, which I felt was like, not only was it big, but also it was useless. Like the vehicles were just too strong in that game. Mm -hmm. Especially like the tanks just dominated and it was really hard to, destroy them which is actually kind of funny uh because i won't go really far into this too much but as we have seen from some modern conflicts tanks are extremely vulnerable to infantry uh rocket weapons extremely uh and so it's funny because if anything the battlefield games have tanks that are too robust against infantry but not Bad Company 2. Bad but Company not Bad Company 2. Struck, it, struck it, the, the, a perfect balance. Yeah, yeah, Bad Company 2 tanks were very vulnerable, uh, especially if you hit them in the right spot, like in the rear armor or mm -hmm. whatever. And like a lot of different classes had tools to deal with it, whether they be a rocket launcher or a uh, landmine and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, landmine. Or, or even, I think you could even use the C4 as a scout to or recon to great effect. Although, yep. you know, it'd be pretty challenging to get it on there. Mm -hmm. Unless, unless you were on a map where you had a ghillie suit and there was a bunch of brush that you could literally stand in, that's yeah. another, that's another thing. It wasn't like a bunch of like bushes and stuff that like had collision. You could like run through them and stand in them and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That map had a lot of. That map was just dangerous for absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't safe anywhere in anything. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of like what like you want sometimes right like that's it's a jungle map of course it should be that way yeah i want to feel like fucking rambo <laughs> or first blood yeah it, it was a very good looking map for that for its time as well mm -hmm. true 
And yeah, one other thing that I want, want to like really emphasize is that um, because of like the hills and the small cliffs uh, and like the like kind of road and swamp like brush areas I had, it really created a great corridor effect where like it, you know, it created the feeling like if you put up wall, like full walls and call this an indoor map, it wouldn't like it feel almost the same. Like it, I you know no. I'm actually gonna say no. It wouldn't, um, especially because one of the key features of the road in that map is that the road is winding, right? Yeah. So well, it would feel like a natural indoor environment. <laughs> no, but like, but I mean, like in the sense that like the the vehicles, although they can go off the road, um, like it's really challenging and sometimes you want to be in like off the road with the vehicle so you're more hidden but if you want to traverse the map you kind of need to use the road to get anywhere with the vehicles but because it's winding you're so vulnerable because you you can see through it when you're looking at something as big as a vehicle across these longer distances but because the longer distance is a big winding like s kind of shaped road thing it means that the vehicles just have to traverse kind of back and forth and it's like that's a really good concept as the sort of anchoring point for the vehicle play on that map. I don't think that a lot of other battlefield maps really have, um, like certainly some of them have roads and sort of pathways that the vehicles are gonna be able to move rapidly on, but none of them are really in such a winding sort of pattern that's still flat. Like there's some winding mountainous ones and things like that, but but it. But it, mo- most of the other battlefield maps are like big, larger sections of flat ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or defined buildings. Yeah, that, the, that's why I say. That's why I mean when I say it creates a corridor effect of like there's not a bunch of buildings on the sides that you're driving this tank down, but it's just like terrain is kind of creating the corridor for you. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it, yeah, and it, but it's a corridor that you can see straight across <laughs> albeit with lots of brush in the way yeah yeah but, i mean you could smoke a vehicle from across the map potentially yeah because there there was like enough uh elevation changes yeah. that you although could... it would be very difficult to see what you're doing in order to hit it because you know even the vehicle hides in the brush when there's the entire map in the way mm-hmm Although it's one of those maps where like, yeah, just blindly firing actually gets you killed sometimes. <laughs> Random grenade. It's the best yep. strategy. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's that map. Solid map in probably the best battlefield game if you average the opinion of uh, of us. Yeah. Yep. De- definitely my all-time favorite uh map in Battlefield. Mm-hmm. My number 2 is chapter six from Portal Two, the fall. Um, I, I I just I love this level. Like the the first major set piece you encounter being this like four to five story tall vault door that you that you have to press two buttons within like a certain time period to open it, and once you do, it's like this big dramatic just opening of the door. And once it's fully open, the lights turn on to just reveal that all that was behind that door was a wall, and at the bottom of the wall, at the ground, is just a one normal-sized door <laughs> with, with with a folding chair sitting uh. next to it for a security guard. 
Um, and then you walk in, and it, as you advance, you get into this like lo- nice, like old, like '50s looking lobby. And this is where you start getting the pre-recorded messages from Cave Johnson, <laughs> voiced by the fabulous J.K. Simmons. And like these, like the writing for th- these recordings is just some of my favorite writing in video games just like with the humor in these lines yeah like oh man just like all right i've been thinking when life gives you lemons don't make lemonade make life take the lemons back get mad i don't want your damn lemons what am i supposed to do with these demand to see life's manager make life rue the day it thought it could give cave johnson lemons do you know who i am i'm the man who's gonna burn your house down with the lemons (laughs) that's like honestly one of the best that might be one of the best lines ever like yeah. recorded for a video game. That, yeah. that is actually the next chapter. But like it just like all these great dialogue it just carries on into the next yeah, chapter. Yeah, I mean that's and so, it's just so, yeah. So that's the peak right there. Yeah. yeah, but like I just love the initial setup of chapter 6 with that huge door, that huge vault door. And then like it also the chapter also just introduces uh two new mechanics in the uh repulsion and uh propulsion gels which become a key component for solving uh, like the majority of the remaining puzzles throughout the game. And it's just just going through that, just hearing all those fantastic lines of dialogue from Cave Johnson. It's just, it, it, it's great. Yeah, I mean, Portal 2 is just... I, I was really tempted to try and pick a level or something from either Portal or Portal 2. And I just kind of gave up because I couldn't choose because it's so tough. Like, so much of those games is really, really solid. Um, like, GLaDOS in a Potato is yep. fucking hilarious. It makes no sense, but it's fucking I, hilarious. I mean, that, that, that's how, like, Chapter 6 starts, too. You're just, you're just falling. You're just falling, and GLaDOS is just there in a potato battery, just checking to make sure her slow clap feature just made it in well and then and then at one point a raven just steals the potato Flies off with it <laughs> like it's so it's so good it's so funny um and you know the core puzzly mechanics of portal are really fun so it's really really good really good game yeah good I, I i just re i replayed portal 2 as well like i i actually think like this. from a level design perspective i think Portal 1 has some better levels near the end than Portal 2, to be yeah. like, in my opinion, uh, because I think that using the momentum in order to solve the puzzles in the late bit of the first game is so satisfying. And Portal 2, they really like go heavy on like the gels and stuff. And so it's nowhere near as satisfying to me to get the momentum to solve a puzzle from the speed up gel rather than just getting it from timing my falls into portals Mm -hmm. successively. Like that's so much more fun than like the repulsion gels or the um, uh, speed up gels or whatever. Although, but where Portal 2 shines is like, they really just step up the writing and just make it really fun to just go through that game with like, all the fantastic dialogue in it. Yeah. Yeah, the dialogue in Portal 2 is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, my next top level, again, it's a bit of a section, <laughs> um, 
is uh, we don't go to Raven Home from Half-Life 2. And I'm not sure if you've played Half-Life 2, Santa. Absolutely not. But, and I mean, it's getting on it, It's getting on in years these days, but, you know, so is a bunch of other things we talk about on this podcast. But I love We Don't Go to Raven Home because it... So right off the top, before you even get to this chapter of the game, you're talking with an NPC, and then the NPC just says... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could go through Ravenholm, but we don't go to Ravenholm. Immediately, you know that you're going to Ravenholm. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of a funny gag that's not even delivered as a gag. And so I like that. Uh, but then you get into Ravenholm, and it's this just, like, uh, it's an abandoned town. It's doing sort of this, like, a bit of a horror aesthetic. And it really... It doesn't try to scare you, right? Uh, the way that this level, like, scares you is the fact that you have no ammo. This is a shooter, and you're a- and there's almost no ammo in this level. There's so lots. A, so it's a survival horror game. It, yeah, there's so lots of there's lots of enemies though, but you've just gotten the gravity gun, mm. and I mean the gravity gun's the, like everyone's favorite part of Half Life Two, but. I think that We Don't Go to Ravenholm is where the gravity gun shines the most because it's kind of teaching you how to use it and it's doing so by forcing you to use it. It it doesn't force you. It's just that your ammo is so limited that either you're going to be killing enemies with the gravity gun or you're going to be killing them with the crowbar. And those are both just such such classic Half-Life. Saw blades are your best friend with that gravity gun there. Yeah, there's lots of saw blades in Ravenholm and you can use them to just kind of one-shot the the head crab zombies and that's that's really fun so that's and even if you don't headshot them or one shot them you're at least slowing them down because you've cut their legs off and now they have to crawl at you with their (laughs) arms yeah like it kind of did what dead space did later except i actually think we don't go to ravenholm is scarier than most of dead space is (laughs) um because because it doesn't try to it doesn't try to scare you with jump scares or anything like that it's just you're just i mean i died just because i was not managing my ammo i was not utilizing the environment to my advantage right the game scares you because you are being overwhelmed because you played the game poorly and i think that that to me is how to make me scared like more so in a game, right? Like I, that's so much more satisfying to get scared by rather than a jump scare in a video game, you know? And like, honestly, if you're really good at the game, yeah, I mean, it's not actually that challenging, uh, but it is fairly early in the game too. And again, you just got the gravity gun. So you may not know how to use the gravity gun as a weapon fully yet. And if you only try to use the crowbar, there's too many enemies and you're going to get overwhelmed. So it's a really great just level and it's got gravity gun puzzles too which are fun and you kind of are just introduced to those as well um and then you get to the end of the level and there is one living character in this you know decrepit abandoned horror show of a town father gregory which is a hilarious name but uh he's the one that's been setting all these booby traps that sometimes kill you that you can also use to kill enemies and you know, he's holed up in his church 
And to get to the next level, there's a it's almost it's looking back, it's almost a horde event from Left 4 Dead. Yeah. Um, like it, it, I almost wonder if Valve was inspired for Left 4 Dead by some of the things they did with Half-Life 2 in this this particular section. Self-inspired. <laughs> Self-inspired, yeah. I mean, you think about it, it, it is essentially the survival horror section of Half-Life 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Left 4 Dead is a survival horror game. It's co-op. It's kind of, not really, but it's not as hoary. Uh, that sounded it's, it's more, awful. It's, it's, it's more hoardy. <laughs> <laughs> sounded awful. Okay. Anyway, yeah. But yeah, at the end of the level, Father Grigori's got this, this uh, sort of uh, platform that can move over to get you, but it's so loud it's and so gondola. squeaky. It's a makeshift gondola and it's a piece of crap. Which is like, which is what it would be in a post-apocalypse, right? If anyone's going to be able to make a gondola out of scrap, it's going to be terrible. But of course, because it's so loud, it triggers this horde event kind of thing. And the, the sight lines are kind of bad. And again, you have no ammo. I think the first time I just died there because you need to have your gun at this final section. And if you didn't conserve ammo before, you're dead. <laughs> Uh, so it's a really, really kind of nice capstone to that level of the survival horror interlude in Half-Life 2. Uh, and it's just kind of got it all. It's got, it's got some gunplay that you, you know, will do at the end. It's got some gravity gun puzzles. You get to use the gravity gun as a weapon a lot. Um, lots of head crabs. You'll probably get some crowbar shenanigans in. It's just a really, really strong Half-Life level. And I love it. It's super fun. And when I think of Half-Life 2... You know, parts of it, I'm like, yeah, I remember this part and that part. But, you know, we Raven Home is just everyone loves Raven Home. It's like one of the most iconic parts of that game. And but I think we don't go to Raven Home. We don't go to Raven Home. <laughs> All right. Uh, my favorite level in any game is uh, from Fire Emblem 7. And it's uh, Dragon's Gate. This... This level is everything a strategy RPG level should be. And it exemplifies like when Fire Emblem is firing on firing huh? <laughs> on all cylinders, like this is the level that it should be. Because it's it's a level where you're you start at like the kind of the bottom middle of this map that's not that big like there's a little bit of scrolling involved but it's 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 very dense there's there's a lot of like walls and like kind of paths to go through and like you're kind of just like surrounded by objectives so you really need to actually have a strategy on how to approach this level if you want to do everything in a quick manner that won't get destroyed by uh, some of the elements that are in the map where like you really have to determine okay this is how i want to split up my forces i and the layout of the level there's like a few strategic trees uh there's different enemy types that are kind of like uh supporting each other in different areas like you got a bunch of like heavy defense knights that are backed up by mages so you you can't just like send a bunch of physically defensive units up there they'll they'll get mopped up and there's a, a corridor that if you try sending units through, it's pretty narrow. And again, these strategic trees will slow you down. 
where there's a uh, room next to it with archers that spawn. So you kind of have to like, okay, if you want to go through this corridor, you got to splinter off a couple units to take care of these archers to make sure that, you know, you're not just getting like peppered as you're trying to go through this area. Uh, there's chests all over the map, as well as time pressure thieves that show up to make sure that if you're not progressing through this map quickly and have, you know, like the right strategy to do so, you're not going to get all the treasure. One of these thieves is even recruitable, so like even if you kind of want to play the game, it's like, eh, you know what, I don't need to get everything. There's also a character that you got to get that you need to be quick to be able to get. So like that's even more incentive to get your shit together and utilize your uh, team to the fullest. And this also comes about two thirds of the way through the game where your, your crew really starts to come together at this point. At this point, you have multiple different options between a different bunch of different unit classes so you really have your pick of like, okay, these are the units that I like. These are the units that maybe I'm going to throw off to the side. It comes at the perfect time to really test like everything at the player's disposal. Like, okay, you got flyers. So maybe they could deal with the, this like kind of foresty area. But again, that there's archers near there. Can't have that. The boss of the level um, is very beatable. Not too many of the bosses in Fire Emblem are like that crazy, but he's still very dangerous because he has a weapon that's just like really good for this point in the level. He's got like the best class of throwing lance you could get. Uh, so you can't just like kind of run up against him and, and with your strongest unit and like easily get victory. You kind of have to think, okay can I, you know, whittle this guy down over a couple turns or do I kind of just want to throw everybody at him to try and kill him in one, like, fell swoop before he has a chance to have his turn counterattack. And one of the last things about this level is that it introduces, like, a pseudo-hidden mechanic with the secret shop. Where in a lot of Fire Emblem games, you, you will get this, like, item that allows you access to secret shops that have, like, better and rarer items than like a lot of other places and it does so in a really like smart way because most of the time like you got to look up where these stupid things are like there's not really like great indication on the map on where they are but this is the first level where you get the card and then there's this little section off to the corner there's a little four by four section with one tree and a destructible wall that's the only way to get to it so you get this thing you look at its description it says you can access hidden shops with this so like where would the hidden shop be well there's this corner with this destructible wall that is has no purpose no obvious purpose to it whatsoever so clearly that's where it's going to be so it's one of the few instances where you can actually fucking find the stupid hidden shops <laughs> in the game uh and you know what's at the hidden shop your first purchasable killer weapons Ooh. And that's just like, you see that's like, oh, hell yeah. Because like killer weapons are so good in that game that like early, early game, you really want to like conserve their uses because they're just that good for taking out like yeah. the really... And there isn't really a lot of ways to get more early game. No, like the, you're not able to buy them uh, in bulk until like a fair bit later. So this is like the first instance of like, oh shit. Uh, so it introduces introduces that it introduces um, again. I, I can't emphasize this enough. You need to like have a fucking strategy for this map. You like your unit placement at the start matters. Your where you send your units, which units you send, 
like you need to like say okay there's a bunch of there's locked doors and chests everywhere like i have one thief at this at this point where am i gonna send him how am i gonna get this done and also it's um it's kind of like an act an act ender in terms of the plot where you finally meet like the big bad of the game and kind of solve the mystery of uh where the main character's uh father like disappeared off to and like there like there's climactic plot scenes that happen there so it's like it's a great coda to um like kind of the it's 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 two-thirds of the game but it's really like halfway through the game because that fire emblem has a weird act structure uh that like it does everything right and uh the developers of the new fire emblem games should uh take a look at them take a look at that map and (laughs) (laughs) think about okay why is this good oh univariety that's a good thing for the uh, uh, an enemy team to have. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that 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 one's my favorite. Yeah, defensive defensive archers. Hmm. Yes, D- defensible positions, interesting terrain, splitting up your forces. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my number one goes to. It's a level that's. Um, it's quite a tone shift from pretty much all the other levels in the franchise. Um, And it's a level that you actually keep returning to throughout the game. Um, It's Mombasa Streets from Halo 3 ODST. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, Like, it's just... it's, It's the first time in a Halo game where you're not a Spartan or the Arbiter. Um, (laughs) And it's just... You're not as powerful. You, you can't take as much hits. But um, it's just such a great atmosphere just being alone in the city that's been overtaken by Covenant forces. And you're just trying to, in like a very noir detective style, like trying to just piece together what happened to the rest of your squad. Um through like little clues as the uh, city's superintendent AI kind of helps to guide you through the city to where you can find some clues to uh, what happened to your squad. Um, and like on, on repeat playthroughs, like you can actually, uh, I, I've never gone out of order, but on repeat playthroughs, you can actually go to the uh, different objectives in any order. Oh, because okay. on repeat playthroughs, like all those, the cities actually opened up. It's not like closed off where it's like on your first playthrough, it's guiding you in the same order. Mm-hmm. Um, and like th- there's audio logs scattered throughout the city as well. And as you find those, you get access to caches that supply you with more weapons, ammo, and even uh, mongies to ride around through the city. Um, yeah, I, I it's just. I love the atmosphere. It's so different from anything else in Halo, and it's just the, and the music too. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's a shame you don't get the full versions of those. The, there, there's six different tracks that play um, throughout uh, each time you go to the return to the city or the to Mombasa streets and. Um, it's a shame you only get like a little bit from the start of the track just to set the atmosphere again before like it's just nothing and then you're just you're just alone in the city again just 
trying to avoid Covenant patrols or f- face them head on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the nighttime atmosphere of that was like such a departure from everything else, and it worked beautifully. Like I, I totally like. Yeah, that's a great choice for number one. This is not directly related to anything really other than Halo, but I feel like Halo should get a vehicle named the Badger. <laughs> all right. All like, right. you know, like they got the Mongoose. The Warthog. The Warthog. Scorpion. Scorpion. Pelican. Yeah, Scorpion. Pelican. Oh, yeah, the transport's a Pelican. Falcon. But, like, I just feel like... Hornet. Hornet. Like, some some vehicle that's, like, really aggressive somehow should get the name, just the nickname Badger in a Halo game. They could also, like, put, like, one piece from every vehicle together and call it the platypus. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a modder's job. <laughs> yep. Um, coming to Cursed Halo soon. <laughs> coming, yeah. <laughs> Reach out, do a collab. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, my, my favorite level in any game... Bob on Battlefield from Super <laughs> Mario 64. This is a tough choice, honestly. Like, how do you pick your favorite level? But mine was pretty easy, honestly. I, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, Bob on Battlefield. Like, first off, the music's amazing. Mm-hmm. You might have noticed a bunch of the several of the levels I've chosen have great music, and I talk about how they have great music. But Bob on Battlefield is such a classic, such a huge banger from any Mario game. It's so iconic. It's so good. I love it. Um, but also, like, it's the first level in Super Mario 64, which is, like, the first... I don't know if it's the first, but, like, essentially, like, the first major 3D platformer. And, honestly, it fucking nails it. Like, Bob on Battlefield is such a good level. It's got... It's got some really fun... It's got some fun... Pla- it's got fun platforming, right? It's got non-linearity, which wasn't really a thing in major platformers up to this point, I don't really think. And, it's, and it does it so well. It literally taunts you <laughs> with a star in a cage, like even on your first fucking run through the level. And I don't remember if you can get that one immediately, but you can, oh, you can. go. Yeah, you can, I think. I think the only ones you can't get is... If there's something that changes in the level. Yeah, I just couldn't remember if that star... Anyway, yeah, because I think it's just tricking the chain chomp into hitting it. No, you just... Or... Uh, you ground pound the the wooden post that's oh. holding the chain chomp in place. Oh, sorry. I'm getting confused with a different star in a different level. <laughs> anyway, the, um, the level's tons of fun. I love it. And... It just, like, really, it's such a strong introduction to, like, the 3D Mario kind of formula that it's it's just so so much fun. Yeah, I guess the only thing that you can't get right away is because the cannons are locked. But also the level has cannons. And also the Koopa race. Yeah. It's got so much fun yeah. stuff. And You can talk to a Koopa. You can talk to a Koopa. <laughs> you can That's talk crazy. To, you can talk to bombs. And King Bomb! King Bomb! Yeah, I love it. You can even steal a smaller Koopa shell and surf on it. Oh yeah, the Koopa (laughs) surfing, I mean, it may not be the most iconic Koopa surfing, as opposed to like, you know, maybe like surfing over the sand and stuff, but the Koopa surfing in that level, 
although it isn't even that it's not even that it's not use, even useful it's not even useful which is why it's the best <laughs> they had no reason to put cooper surfing into that level but cooper surfing's tons of fun on that level there's almost like a little half pipe that you can cooper surf in it's 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 an awesome level i love it it's so much fun and yeah sometimes sometimes you just want to go back and boot up a game just to play a level that's that level and thankfully, it's the first one. Yeah. yeah. That level in TikTok Clock, which is another now one. That's endgame. <laughs> that's, that's like, yeah, right right near the end, but also an incredible level in that, in that game. But Super Mario 64 is, in, I think it still holds up really well, actually. And I think Bob on Battlefield is my favorite level in that game. And I mean, it's also partly nostalgia, because again, not only is it the, you know, this nostalgia bomb of a game, but... N- nostalgia bomb nostalgia ball on the game but it's you know i think the it's the first level in the game too and when a game has such a strong opening it just stays with you you know mm-hmm. like in all media you know the ending and the beginning when done well are often some of the most iconic parts of the game and i gotta say super mario 64 had a strong start with bob on battlefield all right nice uh just to throw out another i i'm gonna break the formula here oh i'm gonna i was about to break it so um, please go ahead yeah like (laughs) just in i'm just now i'm thinking you know game openings and game endings are often like some of the most memorable and iconic parts and i was really tempted to put not a specific one but halo warthog runs (laughs) at the end like i think yeah, the one in Halo Three was my, my favorite. Yeah, there's really a like there's there's some stuff in the first Warthog run that like uh. if you stop and think about it, think about the layout of the level for like even just a couple minutes, it just kind of ruins it. Oh, there's also a couple sections where like it gets kind of narrow, and if you're not driving like perfectly straight, you get fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Warthog run in Halo One is a tough one. Yeah, I think it's Halo. It's still fun. It's yeah. fun. It's still lots of fun. Halo Three might have had the best one. Though. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It's so like, cinematic. Because like from the level design in the first one, it's just what do these passages actually? What usage do they provide in <laughs> yeah, terms of this no. ship? Yeah, don't don't think and, about and it. And then there's also the fact that the run itself is longer than the ship is in canon. <laughs> and then there's that part in the middle of the run where you stop on that bridge to wait for the pelican that gets shot down. That bridge is the only thing there. It's just two flat walls and a bridge connecting them. What part of the ship is that? <laughs> what part of the ship is cut in half and connected by just one bridge big enough for a warthog? Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's a wreckage. It's it, the ship's wreckage at that point, right? It's the garbage chute. So, like, I don't know. Maybe it broke in half. Yeah, but still fun when playing. But yeah, but when you think like about the it, Warthog yeah. runs. I, you know, sometimes shooters throw in a vehicle interlude, and it's a total mistake, and they never should have done it. Uh, but I think something about the driving in Halo, like. Like, Halo has really weird driving, but it's really fun driving. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love it. I know Matsmus hates it. He's like, fuck this driving. Ah, he doesn't know what he's so talking weird. about. so weird. But I love the driving in Halo. And I think the Warthog runs 
actually like fit the weird driving style of Halo perfectly, and they make great like end game cinematic set pieces. Yeah, like and, and even if you don't like the driving, that's why you play co op. Like Maximus can take the gunner seat. Exactly. Drive. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like because Halo has such strong co op campaigns, having everyone pile into the Warthog at at like for the warthog run at the end it's just like i i look forward to that like that's probably one of the, the even even if like the gunner and passenger aren't really doing anything the entire time it's still fun yeah 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 no it's so much like, fun because like when the when the driver inevitably takes a turn too fast and bails you gotta like scramble to get everybody back in there and yeah. get the fuck going yeah but i i love i love i love all of them and it, yeah so much fun mm-hmm. Unless you get everyone in a ghost and the iron skull's on. Oh, God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. I'm also going to break format and, like, do the honorable mention sandwich where I haven't owned yeah. much at the this end. Is, yeah, this new format, honorable mention sandwich. <laughs> honorable mentions before and after the... The best. The supposedly best three picks. I mean, I would hope that if you have a sandwich, the best stuff's in the middle and not the bread. I would hope so. But that's not always the case. It's a good point. The double down. Yeah, see? And that's an abomination. (laughs) But um, uh, I was surprised that nobody picked any, uh, like, Zelda temples. So I'm just going to say the Forest Temple from Ocarina of Time is fucking killer. Uh, Yeah. It's so good. It it beautifully incorporates, like, the kind of, like, the Lost Woods kind of, like, mindfuckery, like, misdirection aspect into a temple setting. And something about like the like eerie music mm-hmm. and like even those like hands that just come down from the ceiling and grab oh, you like like the, the playing through masters. playing through it even now like I just get chills playing the forest temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the forest temple is really really strong, and it's it's also I think it's actually technically a bit of a non-linear temple because I think you can kind of get the ghosts in a different order, kind of. I'm pretty sure you can use the keys in it like like different orders yeah yeah I'm pretty sure yeah so that's that's fun i always like that yeah. and the, the 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 aesthetic of it i think is really really good um how like there's like that like how outdoorsy section and like the indoor like you know almost mansion-ish yeah uh, it's actually there. yeah it does it does mix kind of outdoor and indoor really well mm-hmm. um which i which kind of makes sense because Although, you know, for its time, the game couldn't really show a lot of this, but I think the idea is that it's like this... I mean, yeah. N64 Zelda draw distance. Not, not <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, for its time, Hyrule Field was incredible, but yes. yeah, the draw distance is, uh, is lacking. So they couldn't really show this sort of partially broken down temple in the forest, but that's what it is. And it really fits that aesthetic really yeah. effectively. And great boss fight. And great, yeah. Yep. Yeah, great boss fight. Phantom Ganon. I can't believe I forgot how that boss fight worked when I went and played Ocarina of Time again not yeah, too long like, ago. Yeah, like, that was so funny to hear you describe it. Just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, I keep shooting. I, I shot all my arrows. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a great temple, though. Mm. I've heard a lot of people say... I've heard a lot of people talk about the Water Temple as the best temple in Ocarina of Time. I've heard most people talking about the Water Temple as the most bullshit temple. I have That's the all, most pain in the I ass think, one. I think water, the Water Temple is 
both. Is both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The water temple's also incredible. And I think actually the level design of making that water temple is a great achievement. But it is kind of confusing at times, yes. And fuck it, I'm going to go into the menu all, uh, a bunch to switch to the iron boots. Which, yeah. like, they, didn't they the 3DS fixed, one fix that? They, they fixed it by allowing you to put the iron boots on your um, your item hop bar. Yeah. I think all of the Zelda games, at, well, maybe not Majora's Mask, but from I'm pretty sure from Wind Waker onward, all Zelda games could use the iron boots as a use item that you can yeah. swap, hot I, swap. I definitely yeah, remember being there for Twilight Princess. Yeah. Which is a better way to use those same thing with like the other or i guess no never mind i was gonna say magnetic boots but that's still just iron boots <laughs> they no. can they can bring you down water and onto magnetic walls because they're metal yes <laughs> sorry matt we didn't tell you about the new sandwich format so i guess you don't have a <laughs> an honorable mention an for extra the honorable end. mention I, I mean, I could I could talk about some more Halo levels, but I'm thinking about just doing a tier list for that. Good idea. Good idea. We could do that, yeah. Specifically, Bungie era. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked a couple of the campaign levels in Halo Four. They're, they're, they're there's, not there's, bad. There's a couple yeah. that were pretty good. But anyway, a lot that were bad. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's it. Welcome to Three Levels Deep. Yeah, so, uh, crap, now we have to, like, plug all the new socials <laughs> that I may or may not have actually created Listen, yet. <laughs> the new social media links haven't been made now, but they'll have been made now when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this on YouTube, just go into the video description, they'll be there. Yes, that's one way to... If you're listening to this on Spotify, go to the Spotify podcast description or any other podcast provider's description. They'll be there too. Anyway, yeah. But at at least for ones that we've figured out, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, email us at threelevelsdeep at outlook.com. That's one I have made. Yeah, and I mean, it'll probably just be a YouTube channel and, and or Twitch. And Twitter. And Twitter. Three levels deep with an at symbol, maybe. I don't know. It depends on the platform. I don't know whether I'm going to use the numeral three or the word three. There you go. So, yeah, check us out and share share it with your friends if you like it. I don't know. And, and tell us your top three video game levels down in the comments. Absolutely. We'd love to act, get some engagement on this because, you know, there are so many levels that, like, there's a bunch that I could also just spurt on about in honorable mentions, but there's simply no time. Yeah, this is, I mean, yeah. It, I gotta say, this has probably been one of the most challenging uh, things to prepare for, if only because there's so many levels and so many good ones in so many games. How could I only pick three levels? And I didn't. I threw out a bunch of other ones. Yep. And I, I mean, my, my list might even just change based on my mood any given day. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's uh, Three Levels Deep signing off.